Welcome to Evolve, Reinventing Leadership, Building Freedom Cultures, with thought leader and award-winning author, Yvette Bethel. This podcast provides you with insights and ideas you can use to reinvent your culture through trust and the principles of interconnectivity, flow, and balance. At a time when the world is rewriting the rules of work, traditional leadership practices are not enough. It's time to perceive persistent challenges through a new lens. It's time to evolve. Hello, everyone, and welcome again. This is your host, Devette Bethel, and the topic for this episode of Evolve is the changing face of leadership. Certified coach, trainer, and author, James, James, or Jim, you prefer Jim? (laughs) You can call me Jim, yes. Jim Saliba. So Jim start, how do I pronounce Saliba? Did I Saliba, you have it perfect. Ah, very nice. So Jim Saliba. Jim started his career as a software engineer and eventually became the VP of a $4 billion tech company. While there, he discovered his passion for leadership and the impact of being a leader that leaders want to follow. Following his tech career, he founded his coaching practice where he engages clients in leadership development and transformation. Leadership is his passion and he commit, he's committed to the growth of leaders through both his coaching practice and his book, Six Step Leadership Challenge. So hello, Jim. Hello again. And welcome to Evolve. <laughs> Good morning and thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very happy to be here today. Yes, it's so great to have you. So Jim, in this, uh, in the introduction, I mentioned that you discovered your passion for leadership while working with a tech company. Can you share a little bit about your journey to discovery? Sure. I, I started as a software engineer, as you said. I, I was into tech, and of course, at that time, it was early on, and uh, we only spelled computer IBM. So that's true. That's how I started <laughs> in the that's whole true. world. And, um, but then I grew to be a, um, a VP within a larger organization. And I loved having a team and how much we could do and how much we could scale and get done as, mm-hmm. as a team. And there was a lot of change in my life about how do I become a good manager? And then how do I become a good leader? because the skills are completely different than writing code and programming. So it was a, it was a long journey. Uh, along the way, I um, actually found Dale Carnegie. I took a couple of Dale Carnegie courses and that really helped me a lot mm-hmm. to coach people. It, it actually built my coaching style. Oh, interesting. So, you know, uh, you've been, working on this leadership path for a while and different people have different ideas of what leadership is. What is your definition of it? What do you think it is? I believe leadership is getting things done, getting things accomplished through people. A leader can't do things all by themselves. And the ones that try to do everything by themselves are the micromanagers, as I call them, and they will fail. They can't scale. They can only grow so big. 
leadership is being able to get things done with other people where management is getting tasks done. You mentioned scaling a couple of times already. Um, so it sounds like scaling is important to, to your definition of leadership. Can you say a bit more? Oh, yes. I guess I did <laughs> say that a lot. I, at one point in my career, I had a manager who told me one person can't do everything. You can't, he used the word scale, and that's where I picked it up from. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a quote out there. Um, with with one person you can go fast but with many people you can go far oh. so that's kind of my idea of scaling we can do a lot more with many people and the whole idea of being able to grow teams and have teams collaborate is is a an enormous skill by itself so you know, I think both of us have been around for a while, and uh, I'd like to understand, based on your um, perspective, when you compare when you became a leader, um, you know, back in the day, to modern leadership, what are the what are the differences? What's different now? Um, when I became a leader, I think the whole the whole thing around emotional intelligence was just coming out. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that was an enormous change to how leaders should lead. It, it gave more personality and one-to-one and -one understanding of people and different people. I can't manage 20 people the same way. They're different people. I need to know their differences. At the same time, uh, the next big thing that has been growing within leadership is the idea of corporate cultures and how that culture will help the company move forward or hinder it move forward. You can let your culture grow organically by itself, or you can actually try to move it in a direction the way you lead. And when I say grow organically, sometimes it doesn't grow the way you want. Uh, for example, I have what I call the four fears of leadership. Mm -hmm. And these are things that stop leaders from moving forward. And the first one is the fear of incompetence. Sometimes we call that imposter syndrome. It really erodes a leader's confidence it delays decision-making. But the thing is, talking about corporate culture, it creates a culture of uncertainty for mm -hmm. your team and the whole organization below you. And that culture of uncertainty means things are slowing down. We're putting mm -hmm. things on pause because we're waiting for decisions. And then we're whiplash going back and forth between different projects. The second fear is what I call the fear of appearing foolish, right? This is our need for security. Mm -hmm. um, fear of missing out fits in here. And when you have a fear of, of uh, appearing foolish, there's a resistance to change usually. Mm 
And when you have a resistance to change, you're creating a culture of conformity of the team and organization below you. So you're actually cutting out innovation and creativity. The third one is the fear of failure. And I think mm -hmm. we all felt this at one point or another. And what's interesting here is that people detach from decision-making. They push it either upward or outward. So let somebody else make this decision so that I can create a culture of blame. When it doesn't work, I have someone to point the finger to to say, well, it's not me. They're the one that made the decision. Mm -hmm. And the last one is the fear of being vulnerable. Here you might feel we have to have a facade on, a virtual facade or suit of armor. When I walk into meetings, I have to make believe I'm the one that knows everything and more confident than I am. But this actually creates a culture of mistrust. So these fears in leadership actually cause corporate bad corporate cultures. So these fears are, are indicative of the needs that are emerging. So what are some of the emerging practices? And uh, yeah, what are some of the emerging practices? Well, it's interesting. Um, a lot of these fears happen because people are being promoted because of their technical skills. And we're not really teaching or training our people leadership skills or what I call core skills. Mm. You know, our universities aren't really doing that very well. We teach a lot of technical skills, how to be an accountant, how to do finance, how to program. We're not doing really well in teaching these, these types of things. Um, so, and corporate is not really doing well in leadership training. And when they do, they send you to a course three days long, four days long, and you come back and voila, you are now an expert leader, just like that. But yeah. it takes time. It takes practice. This is why I started doing coaching to kind of help people move forward um, put their ideas in into action. So coaching, where many years ago it was, oh, you have a coach? Oh, what's wrong with you? What did you do <laughs> wrong? You're, you're one foot out the door. But coaching is now a huge industry and it's growing. There was a few years ago, I was reading an article where they projected the style of coaching will supersede the consulting industry, be more coaching than consulting. Where really? consulting, I'm just telling you what to do. Coaching is I'm helping you decide to get there. What's interesting, I found out early on, and what turned to me is when I was doing my consulting, when I left um, the big VP role, I... I realized if I tell people what they should be doing, the first thing they tell me is why they're different and why it doesn't work for them. 
But if I talk to them and I ask them questions about what they want, where do they want to go? That's right. Let's, what are the things that you have tried, right? If they come up with the idea, they are mm -hmm. more bought into it and trying it out mm -hmm. than if I tell them what to do. Mm -hmm. And I say, try it out because it's not a decision. I, I tell people not to decide. The root word of decide means to kill off homicide, suicide, insecticide. So what Sorry. we're actually doing, we're taking our options and our ideas and we're killing them off one by one until we have one left. And that's what we decide to do. But when we put it into action, we start getting more information, more data, and may not have been the right decision, but we didn't know yet. Now mm. that we have more information, people have a hard time changing their decision because I killed off all the ideas already. Mm. This is the only one left. And often good money goes after bad. What I talk about is trying things out, experimenting. I say experiment like a fifth grader. When I was in fifth grade, we had to do the science fair thing with a hypothesis on top of the poster board and the model that we did. And did we prove or disprove the hypothesis? Well, if we take those ideas originally and we prioritize them and we build an experiment to prove or disprove that hypothesis, I think if I bring this product out to the market, I'm going to make money. Well, what is the shortest, cheapest, easiest thing that I can do to prove or disprove that. And it should not be building a whole product. It may be doing surveys. It may be doing, I don't know, uh, going out and talking to people or a small prototype. And then I'll know before I spend a lot of money and time. So I don't need to decide. And if it's wrong, I can pivot. At the end mm -hmm. of the experiment, I say we pivot or persevere. Yep, it looks like it's in the right direction, but I need a little tweak, do the next bigger experiment. Mm -hmm. Okay, it, it didn't work. People didn't like this. Okay, let's come up with a, throw this one out. Let's go down our idea list that we had before. Now we have more information, reprioritize, add a couple more things in and do the next experiment. Mm -hmm. So coaching, experimenting, are big things, I think, in our new leadership world and being transparent. Oh, yeah. Being transparent. I was in a big company, tech company, and I was doing some coaching there. And I was working with a senior director. And he said, oh, yes, we're, we're, we have these 20 teams and they're running around and we're doing this and we, it's going to be 12 more weeks and we're going to be done. And I'm working with the teams and I'm like, no, this is not going to be 12 weeks. It's going to take longer than that. But every two weeks when we did our meeting and see where everyone is, every group had their own spreadsheet to show status and where they were. Nobody was uniform. And then when it came to about a month before the project was due, all voila all hell breaks loose. We're not going to be ready. We need another 12 more weeks. We're not even close. And I told him, okay, they just stole 
$10 million from you. And he got upset. What are you talking about? $10 million. I said, okay, well, you have 20 teams. This is how much it costs you to run salaries for all these people. Plus you lost the market time back in the napkin. That's about $10 million. And he says, oh yeah, that's okay. We're always late. That's not a problem. So they had a culture of not worrying about it. And I did say this to him. I said, well, what they did take away from you was the ability to make a decision or change expectations of your management early on because they did not have transparency. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, with that, I'm going to say this is your host, Yvette Bethel, and we'll be right back after this message. Organizational Soul is a mission-driven organization and network where we specialize in trust in academia, families, and organizations. We are building a community of leaders who are interested in trust and culture. If you are interested in our updates, you can sign up for our newsletter at orgsoul.com. As a thank you for joining our community, you can access our free resources that are designed to help you build your brand as a trusted leader as you contribute to safe space. Sign up now at orgsoul.com. So welcome back to Evolve. Our guest is certified coach, trainer, author, and public speaker, Jim Saliba. So Jim, what created the need for all these changes to leadership? Well, um, I believe that in the early 1900s, the turn of the century, we had a workforce that was mostly uneducated, mostly manufacturing. Most people that were educated were up in management. Today, it's completely different. People are going to school, people going to college. We have a knowledge worker base. So we wanted people with brains who could think but then we're trying to treat them the way we did in the 1900s with this hierarchical way of doing things. It's one of the only systems that I see in business that we're still using that's over a hundred years old. Mm -hmm. um, so if we want people to be knowledge-based workers, and be able to talk about their ideas and how to make things better. We have to create a culture and a, an environment that allows that to happen, that I can say my ideas, no matter how off the wall they are, because there's always some value that's going to be there, but without the fear that somebody's going to laugh, that I'm going to be embarrassed, that I'm going to feel foolish, right? That I'm going to mm. be failure. Uh, kind of the failure things uh, that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. So building that environment to allow that candor to happen and open conflict. You know, there's been books around this concept, I don't know, for a long time. If you go back and you look at Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a, of team, a team, right? He mm -hmm. has his pyramid. Well, the bottom of that is trust. Right. Can I trust you to be open and talk about the things I want to be able to change the organization? <clears throat> because without that trust, I can't have open conflict. 
You mentioned earlier that there are skills that are emerging, uh, modern skills that leaders need. What are some of the ones, well, I'll say this, I, I lecture at uh, different colleges and they still bring up theories like theory X and theory Y, which I learned maybe 30 years ago. So what are some of the, the leadership qualities and skills that we should put to rest? You know, what needs to go? Well, I think there's still value to some of those to understand the basis of how people think. I think theory X, theory Y, and they're talking more about psychologically and as humans, we're still human. But I think we not so much put that to rest. There's so much more that we know now. And this is why the emotional intelligence has come up. This is why understanding culture, corporate culture has come up. And books like being able to have difficult conversations more openly has come up. I think um, I think we know so much more now, but we're not teaching it as well as we might have. We're still teaching older theory. We're not putting these things new into practice. Mm -hmm. I did my MBA much later in life. I, I got married. I went to work. When my kids were growing up and in college, I went back and did my MBA. So I was in college the same time as my two daughters were. And at that time, um, the um, emotional intelligence was coming around, and that was the cornerstone of the MBA to be part of that. I think we need to do a lot more of, of that today. Building into our new leaders, the emotional intelligence piece, mm -hmm. how people work together, how to build great teams, how to build environments where we can be innovative and still get things done at the same time. Um, you know, I, I'm doing a workshop <clears throat> for a uh, team for a local university, one of their groups. And the first thing we're starting with is one of those personality assessments. And they have been around for a long time too. You have Myers-Briggs, you have DISC and many others. But many of them kind of put people into a bucket and that's it. That's who you are. And that actually starts to build some biases within the organization. Some of the newer ones out there are understanding that I could be a different person at different times as the need needs to be, right? It may not be my go-to style. It may take more energy to move over if I'm a big idea person and then I look forward, but I'm not great at the details. I can be good at the details when I need to be. It may mm -hmm. take me longer. It may take more of my energy, but I can do it. And building teams, understanding that, that we can flex, we can move, that we can work with each other. And getting those different styles in there are what we need in our new business theory. Mm -hmm. I know in your in your work, you talk about elevating leadership. 
what exactly are you referring to? Can you share with our audience what that's about? Yes. So as I said, I see a lot of, of uh, people move up in the organization based on their technical skill, and then they don't have the leadership skill they need. And often it's 10 years into their journey before they actually get that training. Raising leadership will be getting those people the leadership training, coaching that they need earlier on in their in their life, earlier on in their career to be able to accelerate what's going on. Allowing people to be more transparent, more authentic. I think in early years, a leader, they didn't, they hid their authenticity because it was considered a weakness, mm -hmm. right? I think today it's more considered a strength. I think the workers today want a connection. They want to be mentored. They want to be talked to as a peer, as they grow through the organization. So getting leaders to understand that, be transparent, be authentic, and to put together teams, mm -hmm. I, 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 you know, it's funny, I, I can't tell you how many hiring managers, they tend to hire people like themselves because it's easier. Um, hiring a good team to get people to work together that fit together are a completely different thing. When people I coach are going for interviews, I say the hiring manager only wants to know answers to three questions. Can you do the job? Will you love the job? Can I stand working with you? That's it. Can you do the job? It's all about my skills. And this is where a lot of leaders ask a lot of questions and they forget about everything else. Well, I love the job. Is it more about my values? So my values the same as yours. Will I love the job and stay the job and you don't not leave in six months and you have to start all over again? Can I stand working with you is about fit. Are you the right person to fit into this team? Will you work well with the team? And will you fit the skill that's missing, right? Uh, some people, long, as I said, long-term thinkers. Some people are detailed thinkers. Some people are more structured. Do I get the right mix of people to build a team that can really move? Those concepts leaders must grasp today. Mm -hmm. That's true. So from your perspective, we're in an age where you know, virtual teams and remote working uh, have become the norm, even though some companies are going back to work. What can leaders do to unlock the potential of the team in this, in this reality? I think this is a very difficult question. And, and there's a lot of things that companies are trying and we're learning from in this hybrid world. Um, I don't know what will really work and every company is going to be different. I do know as humans, we are communities. If you look at the world, you have 
We build cities where people come together, where there are communities. We socialize, we're social animals. When we come together, we work better. I think um, we were talking earlier about when we went out to COVID, companies were very concerned about productivity for years, actually before COVID, they didn't want to have people working from home as much because we worried about productivity. But we learned productivity stayed the same, if not even got better. But we lost creativity and we lost innovation because we need people together for that to happen. That happens better. It's not that it doesn't happen. It happens better when people come together in front of whiteboards and talk and brainstorm. So you need a mix of that. How are we going to bring that together? And I don't think uh, just better tools on, on our Zoom and stuff will help, but I think right. it, it's not the magic bullet. We still have to come together. Uh, I used to belong to committees that had different companies involved building standards. And we did a lot over the phone in between, but once a quarter we got together and that's where the real work was done. A tremendous amount was done in the, in the one week we were together because that's how we are as humans. So it takes a lot of effort. The other thing is when I was in the office more, uh, we would be walking between meetings. I run into someone, we'll have a quick discussion in the hallway, and we can make a decision sometimes mm -hmm. in a few minutes. Now it needs a 30-minute Zoom call, and you're going to invite five or six other people, and the conversation gets bigger. We don't make a decision. We make another meeting, so decisions get pushed out. So what the answer is, which was originally your question is, I don't know yet. We need to try a lot of different things. But I think getting people together at some frequency needs to be in the formula. Mm -hmm. Yeah. As a final question, um, what do you think the future of leadership is? And uh, how do you think people can prepare? Uh Bringing all this together is a huge piece. Now, I did a an article in the beginning of this year. Tech was going through a lot of shifting, and there were a lot of layoffs. There was almost a quarter million layoffs in the tech industry, January, February, March timeframe. And I said that we have a problem here. Mm -hmm. Number one, we're, we're laying off all these people. Number two, we have new leaders in the organizations that have never really led in a recession. They never seen a recession, never mind lead in a recession. And then three, we don't do a lot of training on leaders until 10 years within their leadership journey. So I called it a triple storm of tech that was happening. And we're seeing that play out now. We still have a lot of layoffs and shifting happening in our marketplace. Mm -hmm. So I think we need a lot more movement of our leaders to understand how people work, how to bring teams together, how to be agile. 
and I know that word gets overused and, and so on. But the whole idea that I talked about experimenting instead of decide, deciding allows organizations to be more flexible to actually respond to different changes in the marketplace because it's happening faster and faster and faster. So without these high performance teams being able to experiment, companies will not be able to keep up. Only the ones that can will. Mm -hmm. With that, uh, I'd like to reinforce something you said uh, earlier. You said uh, with one person, you can go fast, but with many people, you can go far. And uh, I think that's a great ending point <laughs> for our conversation. And I'd like to thank you, Jim, for such an engaging interview. Your insights can certainly support our audience with their leadership. So can you please share with us before we go uh, how the audience can connect with you? Oh, great. Yes. Well, of course, there's my website, which is jamesaliba.com. Um, you can find me there. I'm on LinkedIn. Again, look for James Saliba. And I look at my LinkedIn virtually every day. Uh -huh. um, also... You can uh, go go to Twitter. Mm -hmm. I do have my book that's on uh, Amazon, and that's called the Six Step Leadership Challenge. So those are different ways that you can get a hold of me. And my email is jim at jamesaliba.com. Ah, so this has been Yvette Bethel and Jim Saliba. And we would like to thank you for taking the time to join us at Evolve, Reinventing Leadership, Building Freedom Cultures. Thank you for listening to Evolve, reinventing leadership, building freedom cultures. Learn more about our proprietary trust, leadership, and culture courses and certifications at the IFB Academy. You can check them out at organizationalsoul.learnworlds.com.